All right, I'm going to wake you up today. I'm going to give you a spiritual awakening, a kickstart. Right? Some people need to hear this today. This is so important. This is so incredibly important. How much more are you called to reign in life through the work of Jesus on the cross for you? Yet many believers, many Christians aren't reigning. That Greek, the Greek word for reign is basileo. It literally means to rule and reign as a king. Okay? Ruling and reigning as a king in life through the provision of Jesus Christ on the cross. That means peace, joy, healing, prosperity, authority over every work of the devil in your life. That is how much you should reign in life and how it should flow through your world. Come on. There is no such thing as a depressed believer in Christ Jesus. I know some people are depressed, but, the, but God has called us to reign. Amen. It's like so many people accept what the devil is doing in our life rather than accepting the work of Jesus and living from it. And God has called every single person in this room to reign. He's called every single person in this room to rule and to take dominion. Many people struggle with this, I believe, because we don't have a revelation of grace and righteousness. How do you reign? It says those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Christ Jesus. The reason I believe many Christians, they love the Lord, we've got a great heart for God, but they don't understand the gift of grace and the gift of righteousness and so they're not able to see the work of the Lord in their life. They don't see deliverance, they don't see the power of God show up, they don't see God's provision in their life. They're not living in joy. They're not living in freedom. They're not living in prosperity. They're not going and laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. And I'll put it to you that it is God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness that you need a revelation of. When I got this, I can tell you right now, I could share with you testimony after testimony after testimony of people who have got this revelation and their whole life has shifted. Their whole life. I can look at people in this room right now and your whole life has shifted because you've received that revelation of God's grace and His righteousness in your life. If you want freedom over sin, if you want freedom over mental health issues, if you want freedom over the work of the devil in your life, over the attack of the enemy, you need the revelation of righteousness and grace today. It's really simple. It's really simple. You don't have to jump through a thousand hoops to get free. You don't have to jump through a thousand hoops to see God's power show up in your life. So my prayer for you today is as I preach on this, my prayer is that it goes from here to here, right? Because as many people I see, they've got a knowledge of the Word. Oh, they, they, they know the Word of God, but it's not a reality in their life. Oh, I know that scripture. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But I don't see them living like Jesus. I don't see them experiencing the word in their life. This is our benchmark. Amen. Don't, don't bring this down to your own experience, but you're called to elevate your experience to this. Amen. It's so incredibly important today. And so that's my prayer for every single person in this room. There's some people here and you'll think, well, I've got it. I know it. 
We're called to live like Jesus. The reason Jesus lived the way he did because he understood his position before Father God. He understood who God called him to be. He understood the Lord Father completely. And that's what God wants for you today. Is that cool? Yep. This, this will take you from unbelief. There's many believing unbelievers. Did you get that? Yeah. Or many unbelieving believers, however you want to put it. We'll say unbelieving believers. Many believers, they love God, but there's no faith in their life. If you want faith, get the revelation of righteousness. It will take you from a place of striving to rest. It takes you from a place of chaos in your life to peace. Amen? So turn with me in your Bible to Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. We love your Holy Spirit. I ask, Father, that there's I unpack this word that you will pierce people's hearts with the revelation of righteousness and grace today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 4 verse 1. What I'm saying is this, this is Paul speaking, is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees. Paul is talking about Israel, who was the representative to God for humanity. He says, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees. What is that talking about? That is talking about the covenant of law and every other covenant before Jesus came and created a new one. The heir is a slave under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Guess what time that was? So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That was the law and the devil's use of the law against Israel and against humanity. We were under, we were in slavery to the devil's authority against our life because we could never measure up to being perfect, righteous, holy before God. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Amen? That is the covenant we now have with Jesus, with God. We have a covenant of sonship, a covenant of grace, meaning Jesus at the cross, he birthed sons. Amen? He was the firstborn of a new creation. The abundant provision of grace that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, is the covenant that we have with God, right? Paul is talking here about covenants. Many people don't understand covenants. Many people don't read their Bible through a covenant lens. And we end up confusing the Word of God and confusing the nature of God. Think about this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, verse 28, 38, says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Okay? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But do you see God being the same yesterday, today, and forever in the Bible? No. I don't see that. See, people don't understand this, that 
God's nature is eternally the same. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he shall repent. God is faithful, trustworthy. You can take it to the bank on that. But his relationship with man changes over time. His relationship with humanity is according to the covenants he makes with humanity. And that's why you see throughout Scripture that God looks different to humanity comparing to what, whether you read him in the New Covenant, the Word of the Lord in the New Covenant, compared to the Word of the Lord in the Old Testament. And many people confuse it. Many people confuse the nature of God, but they don't realize it's actually just a shift in covenant that God has with man. God doesn't change, but his relationship with humanity has changed all throughout Scripture up until Jesus. Do we get that? It's really important to understand. So Paul is talking about covenants here. There are three types of covenants throughout Scripture, okay? Three types of covenant throughout Scripture. There is the vassal covenant, the kingship covenant, and the grant covenant, okay? A vassal covenant was the covenant of law. It was where a king would come in, he would make a covenant with the kingdom that he just conquered, right? So literally, the kingdom that the king just conquered were then slaves to the king. He would call the shots. He was ruling and reigning. He said, you do this and you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, you'll be cursed. Sound familiar? That is called a vassal covenant in Scripture. And that is what God, that is what uh, Israel made with God under the covenant of law. It's amazing that so many people still want to live under that covenant. Then there's the kinship covenant where two people would come together, two equal parties, okay? I'm going to do a little bit of teaching here. Two equal parties would come together. So think about uh, David and Jonathan, Abraham and Lot, right? They would come together. They would make an agreement. This is your land. This is my land. We're not going to cross each other's borders. We're not going to hurt each other. If we do, there's a punishment. There's a penalty, okay? So they agreed to that covenant, but it was two equal parties. Then there was a grant covenant. The grant covenant was where the greater, the king, would come in and he would look at the kingdom or he would look at the person and he says, I'm not going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to bless you. I promise to bless you. I swear upon myself that I bless you. It's not based on your behavior. It's not based on your performance. It's just because I'm awesome and I love you. <laughs> That's called a grant covenant. Guess what covenant we now have with God? It's called a grant covenant. That's called the new covenant, right? So think about this, when Abraham, when God cut the covenant with Abraham, Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, God says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you an heir, and I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, right? And he says, go get the goat, go get the heifer, go get the bull, split them in half, cut it. Why? Because a covenant is always made with blood. Life is in the blood, amen? So that's why there's always a sacrifice for the covenant. God says, I'm going to bless you, do this. Abraham did it. He got the dove and the pigeon. He puts it there. He keeps the birds away from it, the birds of prey that come. And then when does God make the covenant with Abraham? When he's asleep. God makes the covenant with Abraham when he is asleep. In other words, Abraham had nothing to do with it. Abraham has nothing to do with this covenant just to agree with it. So he wakes up. He's like, flip, what happened? All of a sudden, I'm blessed by God. All of a sudden, I see the favor of the Lord in my life. All of a sudden, I've got the God, of the, the creator of the heavens and the universe who has promised to bless me and I was asleep. That's the covenant that we now have with Jesus, but even greater, which I'll share about. That's called a grant covenant. So we see all throughout Scripture, 
If you look throughout Scripture, there are seven main covenants. Many people only know two, law and grace. But there are seven main covenants throughout Scripture. There's God's covenant with Adam, with Noah. There's God's covenant with Abraham. Actually, he makes two with Abraham in Genesis 15 and 17. Then there's God's covenant with Moses, which we know as the Mosaic law. Then there's God's covenant with David. And then we see God's covenant with Jesus, the man Jesus. Think about this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says that the covenant of law was a shadow of the things to come. It was not the reality itself. In other words, that's the principle for us. Every other covenant throughout Scripture, every time we see God relate to humanity, it was a shadow of things to come. It was a shadow of Jesus. Jesus is the reality of God. Jesus is God's A plan. He wasn't plan B. It wasn't like, oh no, I thought... Adam, I didn't know you were going to do that. Now I better send Jesus. No, no. It says in 1 Peter that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus was God's A plan for humanity. He is the fullness, the reality of God. That's why Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. No other covenant, no other, when you look all throughout Scripture, shows the fullness and the reality and the nature of the Lord, of God. So if you try and find the nature of God in the Old Testament, you'll only find a little bit of it. You'll only find little bits. It's not until Jesus came. It's not until he died on the cross. It's not until he rose again that all of a sudden you see the fullness of the reality and the nature of God and who he's called you to be and who he, what he wants you to do. Think about a shadow. Do I have a shadow? My shadow's here. I mean, if you look at my shadow, you can probably almost tell how tall I am. You can probably see, you know, he weighs maybe around 80 kilo, pretty muscly guy, pretty strong and athletic, right? But you can't see my facial features by the shadow. You don't know who I am by the shadow. You don't know whether I'm an introvert, whether I'm an extrovert. You don't know whether I'm, I'm kind or not. You don't know whether I'm going to, you know, uh, you don't know whether I'm a good person, bad person. You just see a shadow, right? You don't know what I look like. That's what God is saying through this scripture. This is what he is saying. All the other covenants leading up until Jesus were a shadow. But Jesus is the fullness of God. If you want to see who Father God is, you look at Jesus. Jesus, I often say this, Jesus is perfect theology. You cannot understand God if you don't look through the filter of Jesus. And this is why many people get confused when they read the Word of God because they're not reading it through the eyes, through the lens of Jesus Christ on the cross. They're not looking at it through the new, co- they're not looking at it through the new covenant. This is really important. So the new covenant is God's abundant provision of grace. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant established on better promises. Better promises. So look at all the promises throughout Scripture. And Jesus is the mediator of a covenant with better promises. You thought the law was good when you got blessed? 
If you look through Deuteronomy 28 and you look at all the blessings, Jesus fulfilled that and there's even better promises. Come on. Jesus is the fulfillment of every single covenant. That's why when he came down to earth, he fulfilled the law. He was the sinless sacrifice for us. He took us out of the law, which was the covenant we were in with God at the time. He fulfills that and then he makes a better one, a much better one. He takes humanity out of a vassal covenant into a grant covenant. Galatians 4 verse 7, you're no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Romans 8 tells us we are co-heirs, co-inheritors with Christ. Many people do not understand the covenant you now have with God. When you said yes to Jesus, when you placed your faith in him, all of a sudden you've come into a covenant with God where you are a co-inheritor with Jesus Christ. So get your head around this. Every single thing that Jesus has inherited from Father God, Jesus, who is God, seated at the right hand of the Father, that side, seated at the right hand of the Father, you have inherited everything He has inherited. This is really important to understand, the covenant that God has with you. He has promised to bless you. He has promised to make you prosperous. He has pro every promise through Scripture, peace, joy, laying hands on the sick, seeing healing, authority over the devil. Every single promise of the Lord is from God. He's sworn on oath by himself that he will do it, not according to your goodness, but according to his nature, according to how good he is. Think about this. Jesus got what we deserve, so we get what he has as a son. That's what the cross was. It was a divine exchange. Jesus gets what we deserved as sinful humanity, and we get what he deserves, what he now has as the Son of God. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, All the promises of God are yes through Christ, and unto us the Amen is spoken. Every promise of God is yes through Christ. That means it's yes because of Jesus, not because of you. It's yes because of Jesus. God's covenant is not with you. Now it's getting people's minds ticking over. God's covenant is not with you. God's covenant is with the man Jesus. That is why you have to be in Christ. Faith places you in Christ eternally. The door is shut and you're in Christ. And so God's covenant is now with you because you're in Christ. I often say to people, you know, I, I can't do anything by myself. People say, well, Dean, it's not, it's not about you. You can do nothing by yourself. It's all about Jesus. And that's true, but I'm not by myself. I've got Jesus. So people say, well, well you shouldn't be, be so bold and confident in asking God for things and in doing stuff like that. You know, I'll say to people, God's going to heal you. Not God will heal you. God, not, sorry, not God might heal you. He's going to heal you. I'm bold about that. Why? Because I have a covenant with the Lord. It's not about myself. I, I, by myself, I can do nothing. By yourself, you can do nothing. But you are not by yourself. You're with Jesus. You have Jesus. God's covenant, Father God's covenant, is with the man Jesus Christ. And you have come into Jesus, and all of a sudden, you have every single thing he inherits, you now have. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. That is awesome.
All the promises of God are yes through Christ and unto us the amen is spoken. That Greek word for promise is the word apagelia. It is a legal term. It's what they would use in the court of law, right? In other words, God's promises are all legal. God is bound to his word. This is what people see. This is why scripture says in Proverbs chapter 28 that the righteous are as bold as a lion. They're bold because we know who our God is and we know what he's promised us. It's legal. God, think about this. God has bound himself to the covenant that he has with you in Christ Jesus. He's bound himself to it. In other words, he's made this covenant and he's sworn to do it. It's not like someone just, oh, you know, yeah, I promise I'll do that. It's not a promise like that. It is a legal promise in the courts of heaven where God has bound himself to say, I promise to bless Isaac and now that I've promised it and he's in Christ Jesus, nothing that he does can stop it. This is the covenant you have with God. It's amazing. It's called a grand covenant. Not about you, but it's all about God. The promises of God are yes, and unto us the amen is spoken. In other words, it's our job only to agree with it. It's your job to agree with the covenant. It's your job just to say, yes, Lord, I receive it. I receive your blessing. I receive your breakthrough. I receive the authority over the devil. I receive victory over anxiety. I receive victory over depression and fear. This is the covenant I have with you, Lord. I know that you've bound yourself to it. You've promised to bless me. And so I receive it in Jesus' name. That is what will make you bold. This is what produces faith in your life. Many people think, well, Dean, you can't ask that of God. How do you, how do you know that? How do you know? Well, well I, I, don't, I don't... See, the reality is, is you are in Jesus Many people don't understand the position they have. And so think about this. When you're asking, when you're asking, God sees it as the perfect son, Jesus Christ, asking. Think about this. Jesus is the hand. Oh, sorry, Jesus is the hand. He's the head and the church is his hands and feet, right? So if you lay hands on someone, who's laying hands on them? Come on. We're saved by grace, the provision of grace of God's covenant through faith. Through faith. So the reality is, is many people don't see that in their life because they just don't understand how to receive it by faith. It's all by faith. So they think, well, if God's promised to do that, why doesn't he do it? Because it's a partnership. It's not all God and it's not all you. There's a partnership in it. It's my faith. It's my response to God's choice. God's chosen me, but I respond to his choice. Amen? See, the church needs a new covenant perspective. It's really important. When you read the word of God, read it through the new covenant. When does the new covenant start? It starts when Jesus rose again. In other words, think about this. All of scripture, two-thirds of scripture is written under the covenant of law. This is why this is so important. Two-thirds of Scripture, from Exodus chapter 20 to the end of the Gospels, that is all God's covenant of law with mankind. This is why people mix law and grace together, because they don't understand how to read the other two-thirds of the Word of God. We read it through Jesus Christ. Amen? Is this making sense today? 
So we, read, we need to understand what stopped at the cross, what changed at the cross, and what made it through the cross. The curse in your life stopped at the cross. The power of sin stopped at the cross. Your prayer life should have shifted. The prayer life, God's humanity's way they relate to God in prayer shifted at the cross. This changed the whole way. When I got this, this changed the whole way I related to God. You know, I used to ask God for courage and boldness. I said, God, I'm really struggling to go pray for people. Give me courage and boldness. I didn't understand the cross. Why? Because the lion of the tribe of Judah lives within me. He lives within you. So you don't need to ask God for boldness. He's already given it to you. You thank the Lord for it. You thank Him for it. Come on, it's a whole shift in your perspective. You don't have to go to jump through all these hoops to get salvation or freedom or healing. You don't have to go to the courtrooms of heaven to get God to do something for you. You are seated on the throne. So your whole prayer life will shift here. Why would I go from the throne over to a courtroom? It takes it. See, the church, we need a new covenant perspective when we relate to God and when we read the Word of God. It's so incredibly important. Lord, I thank you for that in this place. That's what I was saying before. Prayer doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. And we get so caught up in all these methods, not realizing what Jesus has provided for us in the new covenant of grace. Turn with me now to Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited. That word means granted or imputed to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, right? For all who rely on the works of the law or the flesh are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law or the flesh is justified before God because the righteous shall live by faith. So we've got God's abundant provision of grace, which is his new covenant with us through Jesus on the cross, through his death and resurrection. And now Paul is talking about the gift of righteousness. We reign in life through God's abundant provision of grace, understanding the new covenant, and then through the gift of righteousness through the one man, Christ Jesus, right? Paul is talking here about the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is imputed to you by faith. Again, that is a legal term. It is imputed to you by faith. It's granted to you by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So think if you had a bank account, And you were in the minus before Jesus. Humanity was in the minus. We were powerless to save ourselves, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 7. You were powerless to save yourself. You're in the minus. 
So God sees that and he says, okay, I'm sending Jesus. Jesus dies, he rises again. Then what happens? You place your faith in him. All of a sudden you look at your bank account and you've got a billion dollars. That's what has happened spiritually to you. Right, righteousness is a gift that is received by faith. It's not based on your behavior. It is positional. This is so important. Righteousness is not based on your behavior, on how good or bad you are. It is positional. Remember the covenant you have with God. Abraham, I love Abraham, the father of our faith. But you know, he wasn't very righteous. I don't want to beat up on Abraham. But he slept with his slave. Technically, in most churches today, Abraham would get kicked out. (laughs) He committed adultery. Now, I know it can be a little different in their culture because she was a slave and all, but the reality was he committed adultery. He lied to the king and gave his wife to the king because he didn't want to get killed. I love Abraham. He's up in heaven thinking, Dean, what are you doing? (laughs) Sorry, mate. Righteousness is positional. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, God declared, you're righteous. And it's not based on your own works. You're righteous. I'm blessing you. You have right standing with me. And it's not based on what you do. Remember, he was asleep when God cut the covenant with him. This is what God says about you. You have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Righteousness means you are accepted by God. It means you're accepted by Him. You are acceptable. You can walk into His presence. You can come before His, th- you can come before his throne with boldness to find grace and mercy in your time of need. God looks at you and He loves you. God looks at you. He doesn't see you as sinful. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as holy. Amen. Righteousness means Righteousness means you have the same position as Jesus. Righteousness means that you have the same position as Father God. Oh sorry, the same position as Jesus has before Father God. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, this is the gospel message in one sentence. If you want to know how to preach the gospel to, the, to someone, this is how you do it. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to become sin for us, so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus became you so that you would become him. Jesus became your nature so that you would become the nature of Jesus. Jesus became humanity so that humanity could enter into Jesus. That is amazing. The cross was a divine exchange. That's what it was. Jesus says, you can't do it on your own. You're never going to be able to do it on your own. That's why the works of the law, that's why the work of the flesh, you can never satisfy God. All our righteousness is filthy rags, the scripture says. You can try and do it all by yourself. You can try and be perfect, but you will never measure up to the righteousness that God requires. That's why Jesus came, so that you would become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have his righteousness. That means 
that you can have complete boldness and confidence. That means whether it's a good day or whether it's a bad day, whether you've had bad behavior or whether you have good behavior, God still sees you as acceptable. This is what sets people free from shame, condemnation, guilt, fear, depression, anxiety. That's why it sets you free from it because you realize, you, you realize the position you have before God. And all of a sudden you realize, hang on, Jesus Christ lives in me. I'm never separated from God and he empowers me to get set free from every situation I face. Try to tell someone, get free from sin when, you're, when you've got a sinful nature, when you're a sinner. It's never going to work. I was taught in Bible college that man had a sin nature and a, a sin nature and a saint nature. The nature of sin and the nature of Jesus after the cross. So you believe in Jesus, you get his nature, but you're still a sinner. It is absolutely ridiculous. Paul says, I was co-crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives, that lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, Jesus comes and lives in me and now he empowers me to live rightly. He comes into my spirit and he empowers me to live from the spirit. That's why I walk in the spirit and not the flesh. If you try to walk in the flesh, you will never birth the promises of God in your life. Look how it worked out for Abraham. He tried to birth the promise of God by sleeping with his slave woman. It didn't work for him. That's why God calls you to walk by the Spirit. And the only way you can walk by the Spirit is when you receive that revelation right here of righteousness. That you are right with God. He loves you. He approves of you. So Romans chapter 6, we're starting at verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, do you get that? Faith unites you into the death of Jesus. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The devil's authority over mankind was because sin was in us. So Jesus knows for us to gain the authority back over the devil, he needs to come and make us a new creation. That's why Jesus rose again. The death of Jesus purchased our forgiveness. Unlimited forgiveness flows from the veins of Jesus Christ. The worst sinner... The worst sinner can receive salvation because of the death of Jesus Christ. Amen? Many people, much of the church lives in the death of Jesus. That's really important. That is amazing. So we understand we're forgiven. We understand we're holy. We understand that we're righteous, that God loves me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But see, if you don't get the second part, you'll never rule and reign in life. You'll never have authority over the devil in your life. Because it was the resurrection of Jesus that brought the new creation. The death of Jesus satisfied the debt that humanity had towards God. So that's why we say sin is a debt owed and forgiveness has met that debt. 
So that's why we tell people, that's why we teach. You do not need, once you're saved and born again, you do not need to ask God for forgiveness because you're asking him to repay the debt that Jesus has already paid. Relationship is you come to God and if you've stuffed up, you say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry about that. But you don't need to ask God for forgiveness again. You are a secure and you are a safe son. You're secure and you're safe. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. That's why Jesus said in John 19 verse 30, it is finished. See, when I say forgiven, it's past tense, meaning it's done. Jesus says it's finished. The Greek word to tell us day, we know it means paid in full, right? But that word is in the perfect tense. So that literally, you can translate it like this. It is finished and it will always be finished. It is finished and it will always be finished. It will never not be finished. It's not like you get home from work. Oh, my day's finished. Thank God. But then you've got to go again the next day. It's not like that. He said it is finished forever. Do you know the voice of Jesus on the cross has echoed into eternity. It is finished. You know in a billion years time, we'll still be praising Jesus from the work for the work of the cross. You know in a billion years time, you'll still be thanking Jesus for his work at the cross. There won't be a new covenant. There won't. Jesus says it's done. It's finished. That's why it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There won't be anything new when you get to heaven. It'll be all about Jesus. It won't be, I get to heaven and then I get some new revelation and, oh God, that's, that's how it works. No, it will be all about Jesus. Right, right now, you right now, is what, what you'll be in heaven, your same standing and position and forgiveness before the Lord is the same as you'll be right now when you're in heaven. How amazing is that? So Jesus removed the sin nature of humanity. This is called the Christus Victor. This is what it's called in the atonement. The Christus Victor. He destroyed the devil's stronghold over every single person's life. So I was saying how church, much of the church lives in the death of Jesus Christ, but not many, not many believers understand the resurrection of Jesus. Not many people understand what the resurrection purchased. If Jesus just died and he didn't rise again, you would not have a new nature. If Jesus died and didn't rise again, you would not have authority over the devil in your life. It was his resurrection that purchased, that brought new creation life to you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus rises again and he's the firstborn, it says in Hebrews, of a new creation. And he's birthed sons and daughters into the world. That is you. You're a new breed. The world has never seen you before Jesus. It wasn't until Jesus rose again that now the world has seen something new, has seen something different. You are completely brand new creation. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, you know, do you know the ark, Noah's ark? isn't about a boat. Did you know that? Noah's Ark isn't just about a boat and animals. Many people look at Noah's Ark and they think, oh, that's cool. Do you know it's about Jesus? Do you know it's a prophetic picture for what Jesus would do for us at salvation? What does it say in Genesis chapter 6, 7, verse 16? 
It says Noah was brought into the ark. The ark is a prophetic picture of Christ. Amen. He's brought into the ark. And then how does the door shut? Noah doesn't shut the door. God shuts the door. Think about that. That is a prophetic picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you through the provision of grace and his provision of righteousness in your life. You come into Jesus, Jesus in you, you immersed into Jesus, and the Lord shuts the door. The Lord shuts the door. Any door that God shuts, man cannot open. That means your behavior cannot open the door. The Lord has shut it. Remember, righteousness is a gift received by faith and it positions you into Jesus. Amen. The righteous now can be as bold as a lion. I can be bold because it's not based on me. It's based on Jesus. I'm not by myself. I've got Jesus living in me. I'm immersed in Jesus spiritually, seated on the throne. If you got this revelation, it will change your whole life. When this pierces your heart, when it goes from here to here, this will take you from being timid and fearful into being a mighty warrior in the kingdom of God. It'll take you from looking at a sickness and saying, oh, I just have to endure this thing again, to reigning over it, to speaking to mountains. The reason many people don't live in authority over the devil is because they don't understand that righteousness means that you are positioned in Jesus for eternity. When you get into heaven, you'll still be positioned in Jesus. Amen. So my prayer for you that as you go out this week is that you would understand this, that God's covenant with you is a covenant of grace, that he's the one that has promised, not based on yourself, but based on him. It's all about his goodness, not your goodness. And that this would get into your heart, that you would understand that you would be bold when you come to God and say, Lord, you have provided for me. And so I'm going to grab a hold of it. These, these are my covenant rights. Healing is my covenant right. Peace is my covenant right. Joy is my covenant right. Prosperity is my covenant right. Victory over sin is my covenant right. Amen. That's yours this week. So we grab a hold of that by faith. And then you understand that we have the gift of righteousness. That you are forgiven. That you are positioned in Jesus. That it's your rest in the finished work of the cross that allows you to flow through Him. You know, your striving doesn't do anything for God. It doesn't do anything for you. We rest in the finished work of Jesus. The harder you try, the worse it gets. That's why Paul says that we are to put on the new man created in true righteousness and holiness. That means there's a false righteousness and holiness. It's called the flesh. It's just striving and getting by. Paul says to put on the new man. That means to sink into Jesus. We rest in his finished work. So lift your hands right now, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the revealer of the finished work of the cross. And I ask right now, Lord, that there are people here 
and they need breakthrough in their life. There are people here where the devil is running rampant in their life. Father, I ask that you pierce their heart right now with the revelation of the finished work of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that every that there is a mindset shift in people right now. That everything religious that has exalted itself against you, Father, in people's hearts is being torn down in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your grace, your unearned, undeserved favour and blessing. I decree over every person right now that you have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear what God has done and is doing in your life. And I declare the word of the Lord over every single person in this place that you are set free from addiction that is done now. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. That you don't have to step through some formula. You don't have to go through all these hoops to get free. That you are set free by the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. I decree over those who have sin issues in their life. I decree it's broken right now in Jesus' mighty name. I declare over those who struggle with shame and guilt and condemnation, I declare you are free in the name of Jesus. I rebuke shame for those that are people in this room and you struggle to come to God in prayer. You, you struggle with boldness and faith because you feel like you're not worthy. I rebuke that lie. I command it to leave in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your freedom and your favour and your ability in their lives. I thank you that every single person here is positioned in Christ Jesus. I thank you for your ongoing work in their life right now, Holy Spirit. And there's people in this room, God is going to reveal to you areas in your life this week where you haven't understood, you haven't been living out of grace. I thank you for that, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord.